Welcome to Food Farm Talk on CFRU 93.3 FM in Guelph, Ontario, Canada, and on podcast on all major platforms. My name is Paul Smith. I'm one of the hosts of Food Farm Talk. The other hosts are Emily Duncan and Abdul Rahim Abdullahi. Today on Food Farm Talk on CFRU, we hear from Chief Cadmus Delorme. He's chief of the Cossus' First Nation in Saskatchewan, and he's talking about agriculture, colonialism, and First Nations. We're broadcasting here from the treaty lands of the Mississaugas of the Credit First Nation of the Anishinaabek Nation. Please follow our podcast and our Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook accounts. This presentation is taken from a conference in September on Indigenous Agricultural Innovation. And we thank uh, Thomas Benjo and FHQ Developments in Saskatchewan for their permission to use this recording. In this episode, Chief DeLorme traces the history of his First Nation from before European contact through the signing of Treaty 4, the failure to implement uh, treaty obligations, and the roadblocks to real First Nations engagement in agriculture from the very beginning. Agriculture became a tool of colonialism in of dispossession of uh, First Nations and Métis people from their land in Western Canada. Support for European-style agriculture was promised in the numbered treaties of Western Canada, only to be quickly subverted. Treaties in Ontario are primarily pre-Confederation, while those in Western Canada were came after uh, Louis Riel negotiated Manitoba's entry into confeder- Confederation. Chief DeLorme talks about the many issues regarding these treaties and the Indian Act as they relate to agriculture, the Indian agent's power to control First Nations people and the past system requiring Indian agent's approval of sales of grain and cattle by First Nations people. And these are just some of the many brutal aspects of colonialism as it was applied in Western Canada. And it's also a brutal irony because uh, Indigenous people in agriculture have a long history in Canada and on Turtle Island, going back thousands of years. The agricultural innovations from Indigenous peoples in the Americas transformed global agriculture after European contact and the spread of this knowledge to other parts of the world. This is one of the shows about Indigenous agriculture we have on Food Farm Talk. So here you can listen to uh, Cabest Alarm. Good day. My name is Chief Cadmus Delorme. I'm the chief of the Cows' First Nation. I give thanks to the uh, ones that lifted prayer this morning for us to start today in a good day. My presentation for the next 40 minutes is to explain the history, uh, the contemporary issues and opportunities that Cows' First Nation has been enduring in the flow of grain farming and cattle farming. Cows' First Nation We are Southeast Saskatchewan location. This year, we are currently farming 4,500 acres of barley, oats, and wheat. 
we have 200 head of Black Angus cattle, and we have over 32,000 acres of agriculture land today. Our population is 4,300 people. People ask why Cows' First Nation is such a big nation. I like to respond, it's because we're sexy and we know it, that that's why we're such a big nation. The history of Cows' a Treaty for Nation, signator in 1874, September the 15th. Today, entering the agriculture industry is no easy task. But what I would like to share with you is what is the history of agriculture? What are the opportunities for agriculture for one First Nation in this country? And why was Kausis not a part of this growth as what it was supposed to have been at the treaty signing treaty promises and the growth after treaty? What I'm going to talk about is truth. There's going to be some specific truth and timeline of what happened. Sometimes this could be a little heavy. Sometimes it could be very low times with government policies, with legislation. But I want you to know that we inherited this. No one today created these kind of policies. But we must know the truth in order to per persevere into reconciliation. Today is about number 92 of our truth and reconciliation. The over 100,000 residential school survivors who lead in our nations, who lead and raise leaders in our nations, have told their story. And the truth and reconciliation is all of our obligation, Indigenous and not. If you share this land and love that you live in Canada, the truth and reconciliation calls to action are your responsibility. The first thing about history, about agriculture, is that there was a time when the ancestors of Cows' First Nation, and please, if you're Indigenous, your ancestors in your nation, the ancestors of Cows' First Nation lived nomadically. There was a great governance structure. There was great economics. There was no children in care. There was no unemployment. Everybody played a role. And the nomadic lifestyle worked right into the agriculture and the gardening and the, the, the medicines that come from Mother Earth. The ancestors of cows would stay in the Copal Valley during the summer. And in order to rejuvenate the land and the water and the animals, my ancestors would follow the bison to the south, sometimes into Minnesota. And then in the winter, they would migrate to Montana. In the spring, they would go to Cypress Hills because that was the center point to our spirituality, to the, to the connection to Crater. And we would always end back in the Coppell Valley. So when we settled here in southeast Saskatchewan along the Coppell Valley, it, it was not only just because the reserve needed to be put here, but it's because our ancestors knew this land. They knew how to grow on the land. Agriculture just didn't come when the settlers started growing. The indigenous people have farmed this land and are the first farmers on this land 
pre-treaty. That's not talked about enough. And so when you want to go into history and you want to talk about the first farmers on this land, always remember Indigenous people were the first farmers on this land. The history of Kausis, when it comes to agriculture, our signatory chief, his name was Kwiwizats. Kwiwizats means little child in English. When I say Kausis, I mean Kwiwizats. It was miswritten down at treaty. Today, we're proud of Kausis, but Kwiwizats was our signatory chief. Kwiwizats wanted to settle in, in Cypress Hills after treaty. He knew with his followers that agriculture was our future. And so at that time, Cypress Hills was a connection to the creator. That's where our spiritual legendary stories of how we came to Mother Earth, our creation story, came from Cypress Hills. So in 1875 to 1879, Chief Kausis and his followers started breaking the land in Cypress Hill for agriculture. And Canada started investing with a farm agent and tools that were promised at treaty. Now, the first clause that happened in this promise to help transition was the farm agent was not a technically a farm agent. He was a bureaucratic friend of the minister of Indian Affairs at the time of the interior. And so the farm agent was not a valid farm instructor. And so the guidance wasn't always there. The tools that Chief Cowses was getting at the time, and he was very determined with ancestors of Cowses, with, with, with his followers, to farm, the tools weren't new, they weren't quality, and so they tried for four years to break land in Cypress Hills. At that time, there was the Battle of Little Bighorn in, in the south in the United States, and Chief Pipot, Chief Carry the Kettle, um, Chief Big Bear were in Cypress Hills. The government needed to split up these nations because they didn't want them to unite together. And so Louis Osoup came to where we are today. Louis Osoup was a headman. He was a younger leader under Chief Cowses. And he settled here on Cowses First Nation. And when he settled here in 1879, Cowses stayed in Cypress Hills. The first thing Louis Osoup did was he settled here with half of Kausis's followers. He went to the Métis Nation in where we call Manitoba today. He recruited some of the best Métis farmers to come back to this land where Kausis is today in southeast Saskatchewan and asked them to teach us how to farm. And so these Métis farmers came and settled with Kausis. Today, there's descendants of these Métis. So Kausis has some history of, of Métis. Chief Kausis eventually got um, tricked to, to come and stay here and live here uh, for the remainder of his days with the rest of his followers and left Cypress Hills. 
when Cowsis settled here in 1881, again started breaking the land, started to develop agriculture. We, at the time, in our oral stories, it was now time to stop and pause that nomadic way of life. The buffalo depleted our only resource for decades before, centuries before. So agriculture was going to be our new economic drive. And so when cows is settled here, again, the farm instructor, the farm agent that came here wasn't technically a technical farm agent. It was a friend of the bureaucracy, of the minister. And that farm agent wasn't giving the full instructions. And Chief Cowses, Louis Osoup, and the Cowses people were determined to be farmers. And so when they started to, to break the land where, where Cowses is today, the tools weren't always the strongest of tools. They weren't new tools. They weren't given the proper of what was promised that treaty to transition to a new agriculture ways. But the Cowses people were determined. And so they broke the land. In 1883, Chief Cowses was very upset. He was already older. And he told the government official at that time that they're breaching treaty because they weren't giving them the proper agriculture tools that were promised for sharing this land. It wasn't a handout. We share this land. And so Chief Cowses, in frustration, took off his treaty medal gave it to the government official and gave him back the Union Jack flag, the, the crown flag, and said, you're not implementing treaty. You're not providing the right agriculture tools. So I am giving this back to you. And so at that time, it showed that cows' people were ready for agriculture. And we were already being pushed out of something that we wanted to be involved in. Chief Cowses passed away in 1886, but Louis Osoup became chief after that. And the Cowses people continued to break land, to, to become farmers, as was the plan when the buffalo were no more. There are on record speeches of the local MP in 1890 saying the following. If it came between the Broadview Canadians, which is the local town, and Cowes' Indians, I would choose the Broadview Canadians to make sure that they succeed. And so as 1885 came and gone, the past system started on Cowes'. At that time, Cowes' people were starting to win crop prizes and competitions. They used to have competitions for the best crops. Cows' people were winning these crop competitions, even though their tools were limited. And sometimes what the government was offering them was not always up to par. Sometimes the technology was actually reversed. As technology grew in agriculture, Cows' people were given the opposite. Cows' people were also winning in the cattle competitions around 1885 to 1890. At that time, the settlers, Canadians, were starting to be jealous 
of cows is winning. And so they started implementing the pass system. Cows' farmers couldn't take their crops in until all the settlers sold their crops to the pool first. Cows' people couldn't take their cattle to the market until all the settlers took their cattle to the market first. So you can already see by 1885, the indigenous people were already getting set up for failure by the then government of Canada. And so Cowes' people persevered. And by 1905, we broke all of our best land, which was on the south side of the Coppell Valley to the railroad by the number one highway today between Broadview and Oakshella. In 1907, the settlers ran out of land to give one another. And so they started to look towards this prime cows' agriculture land. And what came of it was what we call today the 1907 land surrender, an illegal surrender taking a third of the best cows' farmland in 1907. In 1907, cows' people were farming from the railroad to where cows' is today, south of us. The settlers wanted that land. So what happened was, was the government of Canada came to cows' and three times they tried to have a land surrender vote and they failed three times. The people kept voting it down. But the government, not, want, not getting their answer, came a fourth time. They came in January when the weather was really cold. They called a meeting, the Indian agent, the government of Canada official in 1907, and they had a vote to surrender the best houses farmland just south of the reserve today. The vote was 15 to 15. It was a tie. The Indian agent is on record running outside and um, is actually four, sorry, 14 to 15 the vote. The Indian agent ran outside, this is on record, and created a Cowsis member by the name of Nap Delorme, NAP. And Nap broke the tie. In our record, we don't never had a Nap Delorme on our record. So this person was brought in externally. There was then a Mr. Gaddy that came and broke the tie to surrender the land, which Cowsis. In Canada's eyes, Canada got what they wanted, the best cows is farmland. Two weeks later on record, it stated in a Indian agent's notebook that Mr. Gaddy came into the Indian agent office and said, where's that money you promised me for voting in favor to surrender the land? This is another example of why today when we look around this great province, with over 40, 000, $40 million plus dollars of agriculture flowing just in the south side of the province alone, if not more, of product coming and going. Why are Indigenous people not a part of this growth? Why are Indigenous people not exercising what was supposed to be a treaty obligation of the Crown and a treaty responsibility of Indigenous people? What I'm leading to is the policies, the legislation, the jealousy in the 1800s 
set us up where indigenous people still today on reserves have the best quality farmland. We're talking level three and four in the soil of good land. But when you go on reserves today, majority are non-Indigenous farmers farming on reserve land. We look in our communities. We look at unemployment. We look at succession planning. We look at the intergenerational trauma. Our connection to land has never stopped. Agriculture is our future. And it's conferences like this and gatherings like this and minds of investors to agriculture specialists, agrologists that are going to help Indigenous people get to the place where we need to. The byproducts of agriculture is there is so much potential from the seed selling to the chemicals to the farm machinery. There is so much that can be an opportunity for farming. Indigenous people have been shelved and pushed, pushed aside for over a century. And it is now time, it is all of our responsibility to make sure now that when we move forward, that Indigenous people are a part of the agriculture growth. Not because it's just an implementation of treaty, which is really important, but it's because of what we all inherited today. We may not have been a part of those policies, legislation, and past system that left my ancestors from prospering. But it's because today we share this land. We're all treaty people. And it's not to please the certain Indigenous people on your board, in your company, that are standing at your front counter looking for service. It's to make sure that all of our Indigenous and non-Indigenous people share this land collectively. And so it's our obligation to help Indigenous people be a part of the growth. Today, cows is First Nation. We have farmed barley, oats, and wheat. We have not farmed our own land in over two decades. As a little kid, I, I grew up on cows. My father would have this non-Indigenous farmer come to his house every spring, a couple handshakes, a cup of coffee, and hand over my dad a few dollars. And this non-Indigenous farmer would bring his machines on, break the ground. It's a beautiful field in front of our house. It's flat. It's, it's ideal for good agriculture. It's good soil. He'd seed it. He'd come and spray it. He would harvest it and take it away. And in the fall, this farmer would come and give my dad another handshake, have a cup of tea, give him a few dollars. And so as a kid, I was even asking my dad, well, why don't we farm our land? You know, when my dad tried to farm in the 70s, I found this out later in life. And even in the 70s, you know, the, the, in the crop insurance, the, the way, you know, banks view the land, which we're going to get to in a little bit, the Indian Act, it, it's still today in 2021, 
it is still really tough to be a farmer, be indigenous, and utilize land on the reserve or get in even to the byproducts of agriculture. And so why? What why? Why? It's 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 so complicated, but yet so simple as to okay, sure we inherited this. There's an Indian Act. Indigenous people, part of treaty, should have been the best and most progressive farmers in Canada today. Why, why are they not? Thanks for tuning in to Food Farm Talk on CFRU 93.3 FM in Guelph and on podcast. Please check out the links in our show notes and on our social media feeds for more information. The history of agriculture and Indigenous people in Canada provides an example of the high level of detail of colonial policy that was used to suppress Indigenous people and prevent their success in agriculture. This is very well documented in the historic literature, but very poorly known among the public. Improving public understanding of the true history is in keeping with many of the calls to action put forward by the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. That is the duty of media outlets like CFRU and Food Farm Talk. That responsibility is referred to into the calls to action 84 to 86. Our next episode will feature Cadmus Delorme talking about his First Nations effort to enter the agricultural business over the last couple of generations and the success they are now achieving. This helps us reflect on Call to Action 92 that urges equitable access to jobs, training, and education opportunities in the corporate sector, and that Aboriginal communities gain long-term sustainable benefits from economic development projects. Again, we thank Thomas Benjo and FHQ Developments in Saskatchewan for their permission to use this recording. And we urge you to uh, please tune in again for another episode of Food Farm Talk.